it all came from you know something difficult and i think like I said, a lot of people ask the question do you learn more from your uh, successes or from the things that didn't go so well and I, I really think you learn more about yourself when things don't go so well that was our guest for today brian gregan you'll hear more from brian very soon but first we want to say a big thank you to grenade high protein bars and performance nutrition grenade are available in ireland in select stores so if you want to get your hands on some get down to apple greens cedra circle k dunn super value or tesco and our favorite product is definitely the iconic carb killer high protein bar it's 22 grams of protein less than two grams of sugar so perfect for post-workout treat midday snack or something any time of the day also do make sure to check out their full range on grenade.com Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. Welcome to episode number 109. Today we spoke with Brian Gregan, Irish 400 metre track and field athlete, director of sport at the Institute of Education and coffee lover. What an interesting backdrop to high performance representing a country. A sports science degree from DCU, work with Sky Sports, focused on resilience and promotion of sport, and the role as director of sport at the Institute of Education. With that last one, Brian focuses on promoting well-being, physical activity, decreasing stress, and ensuring students establish a pattern of healthy living, which will be sustained into adult life. This year, he'll be a teacher as part of the PE curriculum. Brian speaks with us about resilience and grit, as he's suffered serious injuries running since 2008, and was even told at 15 he'd never run again. We unpack strategies to refocus after adversity and setbacks in relation to the Olympic Games. Other areas discussed include performance psychology, mentioned to Jesse Barr, preparation, organization, the process, and what a normal week of training looks like for Brian in the Irish Institute of Sport. We finish with a splash into coffee culture, with echoes of our chat with Sonia. Thanks for joining us, Brian on your first ever pod and here's to Tokyo. Brian Gregan, thanks a million for coming on. David and I are really looking forward to speaking to you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks very much. Very strange doing these things from home. But yeah, no, I'm really good. Thank you. For the people maybe across the pond or outside our country, where is home for you, Brian? Home is Dublin. So it's um, I live in Lucan now. I'm from a, I'm a Italian native, but I've, I've Moved to, to Lucan um, about two years ago. And tell us, what, what have you been doing in your professional life up to this point? And then we get into your background in sport. Yeah, so um, I basically I did a sports science degree in, in DCU. I graduated from there in 2012. Um, I moved into work with Sky Sports, so um, resilience and um, promotion of sport and um, so on with them for about three or four years and then I moved into working with the Institute of Education so I'm their director of sport I look after all things sport well-being and I'm also um, going to be starting teaching the new physical education curriculum um, as of 2021. That sounds fascinating and when did that part become really important for you that just the whole resilience piece is something that obviously would be nearly a keystone for this podcast. So when did that kind of resonate that that was something you were going to go and explore a little bit more? Yeah. Um, I suppose my, my career, I've been running as a professional forward to be a runner for since probably 2008. And, um, I've had some, some seriously bad injuries. I was told when I was 15, I'd never run again. I, 
tore um, my ductor muscle off the bone and looked like my career was done there. However, two years later, I came back and finished fifth in the World Junior Championships, uh, highest ranking European at the championships. And my career, I suppose, has been really up and down. It's been the biggest low, I suppose, is, is finished with the, you know, the biggest high. So 2016, I missed the Olympic Games um, with a 4x4 relay by 0.2 of a second. Um, we, finished, we ranked 17th out of top 16, went to, to Rio. Um, we missed out lot, literally on the, the last second. Um, so that was really difficult. I struggled badly with that. But um, the following year, 2017, I had my best ever year. 10 races unbeaten, 10 sub um, 46 performances, ranked fifth in Europe, 18th in the world, um, semi-final in the world championships, won the European team championships. But again, it all came from you know, something difficult. And I think, like I said, a lot of people ask the question, do you learn more from your uh, successes or from the things that didn't go so well? And I, I really think you learn more about yourself when things don't go so well. So um, I've had a serious amount of injuries. Uh, 2017, my best year. 2018, I broke my ankle. And I'm only really kind of getting back to myself now. Last year, I was ready to go. But um, Q pandemic, of course, drops in when things are going well for me. Um, but I suppose I see that extra year now has given me time to iron out any, you know, issues, imbalances, strength problems um, that I had with my body that kept, kept why my body kept breaking down. So um, I've, you know, kind of ironed all those out and um, my training's been going really, really well now. And I'm setting myself up for a, a tilt that qualifying for Tokyo 2021. I mean, like that's that's such a story. Like, I mean, barely missing the opportunity to go into Rio, the adductor injury, ankle, the two pandemics thrown in, like you said, for good measure. Just to nearly take all that, of course, we'd be wishing you well to get to Tokyo. But say a fifteen year old approaches you down the street now, you're kind of getting into the educational space now. It's important for you. What kind of principles or or suggestions would you give to that young person off the back of all this vast experience? of having to show tremendous resilience yourself, what would you give to that 15-year-old? Yeah, so a couple of things. One is be patient. I think as a, as a younger person, um, you're constantly pushing the boundaries. And for me, you know, it was every year, every race almost, personal best, personal best, you know, going to the European Championships, World Championships, is um, be patient. You know, you don't wake up one morning and, and get a call from Sir Alex Ferguson and saying you're going to start for Manchester United. You have to work hard and it's a slow, long road. Some people might have easier roads than you, but it's your road that matters. So patience is key. I think you will get to success in the long run if you're patient. Obviously, hard work, resilience, um, toughness, um, you know, diligence and smart training are all vital. But I think having the patience and sticking with it when things aren't going well and not letting the head drop, just going, right, this is a, a time for me to learn. This is a time where, okay, why is my body breaking down? Rather than going, oh, my bloody body's breaking down. I'm injured again, you know, and flying off the, the handle. It's more of why is this breaking down? Am I pushing myself too much? Am I not sleeping enough? Am I not eating enough? Am I not hydrating enough? And so on. So it's looking at those things, um, really. So patience is a, is a, is a big one. Um, surprisingly enough, I would say, is enjoy it enjoy the journey enjoy 
every moment you get to represent your country or you're at a major competition or so on because I think with the elite mindset it's you know in football it's one game at a time in athletics it's one race at a time and the minute you finish cross the the finishing line you focus on the next race and you never really get to you know enjoy it I know for me looking back my last major championships was 2017 world championships 60,000 people packed into the London Stadium I should have been there for the 2012 Olympics again missed that by by margins of, of a second and I think I did enjoy that I made sure I got to a stage where I stood at that start line and you know my family my friends were all there and I really enjoyed it and and you know I ran very well um, but don't be afraid to enjoy things because you never know um, when your next your next best performance is going to be. A friend of mine, Brian Murphy, said, um, you know, celebrate every PB as if it's your last. And PB is personal best because, you know, some people might go, I went from, you know, 16 to 23 every year improving, you know, and then 23 to 27, 28, four-year hiatus of not running a personal best. And yeah, I ran close to it, but I didn't run a personal best. So when I did in 2017 run a, a personal best I, I celebrated and then I ran I think four personal best that year and you know it's not about going mad and, and boozing or whatever but it's about enjoying it and I don't know if you've seen the the Andy Murray documentary that's on Amazon Prime but he says what would what advice would he give to his younger self he'd say enjoy it enjoy it like he wins Wimbledon and he's just thinking about the next thing so yeah they're the kind of key things patient enjoyment um, you know build up the resiliency and the another key thing would be surround yourself with a with a good support network um, you know I've surrounded myself I've the, the Irish Institute of Sport I don't know if, you're, if people will know this but we have a, a set up at Blanchardstown now where all the different sports have, have come together so we have the RF Euro beside us FAI um, Paralympics Athletics um, all the Olympic sports in one building where we have access to physios, nutrition, life skills advice, um, strength and conditioning, high-tech equipment to measure our speed and power, um, ice baths, saunas, whatever you name it, we've, we've got it in there. And, you know, I think um, looking back at that, um, it's something that we maybe kind of missed that in through my earlier career, but I think surrounding yourself, bringing it back to the point of what I'd, I'd, um, the advice I'd give my younger self is, surround yourself with that positive support network. So when I was younger, I, I, I didn't work with a sports psychologist because one, they weren't as common, but two, you felt like if your coach said to you, you need to go talk to someone, you would initially go, no, 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 I'm not mentally weak, you know, and you try and do it yourself when, you know, you think you, when you go to see a sports psychologist, you go into this room and you lie down in the chair and say, you know, analyze your feelings and they're going to give you this amazing, you know, they're going to stick electrodes on your head and record everything. But, you know, a, a, lot, a lot of it comes back to, you know, with sports psychology, the biggest thing I learned was preparation, organization, um, where there were huge big things where, you know, be prepared at a competition. You know, I had gone to a competition, I had uh, plan A, B and C. So if we're arriving to the venue and we get there on time, your warm-up is plan A, so you have your full warm-up. Plan B, you're delayed by 15, 20 minutes. And plan C is the bus breaks down on the way, getting there, and you have half an hour to get ready for your competition. I know exactly what exercises, what mental routine I need to go through as well. And I don't have to worry or stress about it. So 
Yeah, I suppose they're the biggest things surrounding yourself with that with that support network and definitely a positive support network that believe in you and that you have, you know, belief in them. Some great messages in there. There's loads to take from that. What I'd like to do is zoom in a little bit on when you had that setback, when you've missed out, when you were so close to getting the qualification. Did you adopt any strategies or what did you do personally to try and maybe refocus and then improve to fifth in Europe in the following year? Yeah, so um, for me, like I, I had coming to the Olympic Games, I, I, I pushed myself too much, um, both the previous two Olympic Games. So 2012, I was finishing up my, my undergraduate degree and I was pushing myself mentally and physically too much and I broke down and missed about three months training. Then 2016, same kind of thing. I, you know, I just, I got sick and missed a good block of training. So you're trying to qualify for Olympic Games, you're missing three months of training. It's, it's not ideal. Um, so I knew um training wise i was um if i can get consistent if i can get consistent training um i know i can run fast um but again have fun with it so enjoy the training so we just made things a little bit different so in training i um actually started to do some 400 hurdles so tom barry you know his fourth olympic games i started to just do messing around with the hurdles and training and it just gave me a different focus you know if you've been doing the same thing training over and over again you get bored and athletics is a monotonous sport it requires a lot of repetitive um it's a repetitive nature sport and like the, the principle of the training you know tedium is a big one so we try to avoid being bored of training so i, I mixed it up and the hurdles gave me a new focus i was never really going to compete at them i was just going to train at them and, and um enjoy a little bit different and then i suppose the shift in my mentality was you know i've come this close I used that failure as um, fire. You know, I was stoking that fire in me going, right, I'm not allowing this to happen to me again. I'm not going home. I'm watching this on the TV. Um, I'm going to be there. And I just pushed myself. Like, I didn't train harder than any other year. I just, I suppose, trained smarter. And I just really believed in myself and had that shift kind of in, in mentality and, and just tried to get consistent blocks of training where I wasn't missing, you know, months and months of training, I, I suppose. And Brian, just to pivot ever so slightly, the preparation for a track and field athlete, I always find it phenomenally interesting. Um, having worked with a couple of track athletes in London, and we had Jessie Barr on this podcast uh, not too long ago. Obviously, you probably know her from the Institute. And she was huge into the process when you were preparing for something that by nearly looking at your diary and seeing all the work you've done and how ready you really are, it would help maybe calm down the nerves and the anxiety that could come with that event. I think that's such a valuable point to take for anyone. You know, if we're getting ready to prepare to you for the podcast or doing a public presentation or for somebody who's just starting a new job, what's your kind of process for getting ready for a big event? Because in your world, the lights are only on you for a short space of time, you know, like it's, it's less than a minute and the window to give yourself the best chance to do well is so short as well. Yeah. So I suppose Jesse got the nail on the head. I know Jesse well from yeah, competing with her at competitions from, I suppose, 2008, we've been on country and um, represented Ireland together. So yeah. Um, process is, is the exact word so i don't try to avoid focusing on the outcome and really focus on each step so i see it as like a like looking on the stairs okay what steps do i need to do to get there so i peel back 
the event. So, you know, you have your preparation done for the, the event itself and then you get close to the event. So you have your, your taper period. So a taper is where you reduce the training load. We'll do a 10 day taper coming into a major championships. So we reduce the volume, reduce the load and we might do three, we might do two train, two hard training sessions and the rest are just warming up drills and strides. So we're really just letting the body recover and get ready to race. And, and run fast. Um, so I suppose the the process is, you know, planning. You know, it all comes back to planning, organization, preparation. And so I suppose the, the quote there is, fail to prepare, prepare to fail. And um, I always would, would really focus on preparation. So I would look at, you know, my competition is, you know, day one, I'm racing at 11 a.m., um, or say 10 a.m. for argument's sake. Therefore, I need to be up four hours beforehand. So I need to be up at 6 a.m. Um, I've looked at the flight data. I look how far the track is from the hotel. I look how long. So let's take London, the 2017 World Championships, for example. So keep one, 10 a.m. I know that I'm in, um, my first race is 10 a.m. The call room is 40 minutes beforehand. So you and um, leave the, the warm-up track, you arrive at the call room at um, 9.20. Um, so I know I need to be, I need an hour and 10 minutes to warm up. So 8 o'clock, I want to be at that. I want to be starting to warm up roughly. Um, I want to be there one hour before I warm up. So 7 a.m., I want to be there. So I'm kind of getting up four hours roughly. It takes to warm, like my coach always say, it takes about four hours for the body to wake up fully. So I'd be getting up at 6. Now, I'd be getting up. At, I'd be getting up at six a.m. every single morning for a week beforehand because I'm training my body to get up at that time. So when it when it comes to it, um, it's it's fine, you know. So, um, I uh, arrive at the track. I've looked at you know my training diary again to give me confidence. I've put the work in. I've spoken to my sports psychologist. She asks how you're feeling. You know, I run through the race in my head before I go to you know, maybe an hour or two before I go to bed and then I switch off and I don't think about it at all. Okay. And so I, I, maybe when I was younger, I focused a little bit too much on, um, actually, you know, the outcome of the race or focus on the race itself. Um, then that morning you get up, you just follow, you look at, I have it written down on my notes on my phone, you know, breakfast at this time. And what time do I need to leave at? Um, you know, what time is the earlier bus, the later bus? Worst case scenario, do I need to get a tube if traffic's bad and so on? Um, what time do I take my, I take bicarbonate soda, which is a, a buffer for lactic, caffeine, beetroot juice, you know, what time do I eat my last meal? And then you just prepare yourself, looking through your warm up and you get ready to go on the track. So it's, it's a step by step, you know, you warm up, you, you warm the body up slowly until you get down to run and race pace, then you, you um, throw on some warm clothes and you arrive into the, the call room and you're, you're good to go. So again, that's kind of, um, I suppose, the, the, the process that I would follow when it comes to a, the major championship. It starts 10 days beforehand and then it finishes, you know, after the race and then the process starts again for the, the next day or the next competition and so on. That's excellent. You can tell just from describing it how diligent you must be in order to just compete alone in one race. So what we're really interested in as well is the training that involves, that goes into being an Olympic hopeful to being an elite sprinter. We've seen you doing a hang clean recently on social media. Do you want to share a bit about how you 
go about your S and C and your running and the balance that you strike and how your training is, is summarized overall. Yeah, so I'm just off the back of another PB this morning, 125 kilo hand clean. So um, that's good timing for this podcast. So yeah, I suppose I I break it down into into um, the weekly and month, monthly. Um, so we would do a, a three to one ratio training block. So three weeks of intense training with the, the fourth week being a regeneration or recovery week where you would drop the, the volume and the load and you take it a little bit easier. You might do um, five days training instead of six and, and it's just to let the body recover, adapt and then go again for the next block. So um, we would do three to one up till about maybe the, a block or two before competition and then we go to a two to one so we would increase the intensity quite high so we're trying to get faster than race pace high power explosivity so with that comes you know when you're operating at a higher intensity you need more recovery so we'll do 10 day cycles where we'll do um 10 days with two days of recovery we'll do that twice and then we'll get a week of regen so the higher intensity more recovery the three to one ratio then is is building up for in preparation to be able to do the, the 10 day um, um cycle. So um my my usual week is uh starts on a on a Sunday. So we start our block on a Sunday. We have a one of the hardest sessions of the week. So it's a running session, it's um it's a lactic session. So it's where you'll find us in the gutter on the ground. You know, I have people train around me. I don't really get sick, but most of my group will be vomiting beside me due to the high levels of lactic and, and and so on so um at the moment we could be doing um four 300 meter reps off six minutes and 10 minutes between reps between sets so it's, you do 300 you take six to eight minutes you do another one and then you take a longer break so 10 minutes and you do that twice the the closer we get to competition that gets faster you might do a 300 you might get two three 300s off 10 minutes um then Monday would be um, uh, gym in the morning. So I go to Institute of Sports with my um, SNC coach, John Cleary. And I will do, um, we would do a circuit warm up. So, you know, a lot of single leg stability exercises and um, getting warmed up and um, providing that stability and balance to, to, again, athletics is a single leg sport. So you spend most of the time, you guys spend all the time running on one leg. So um, it's important that you're strong and stable, not just powerful. You have to have the right strength through different ranges um then i will do a bike session after that so i will do a aerobic session so i'll do 10 by one minute with a 30 second recovery um at about 150 to 160 beats per minute um knocking in about 350 watts per per rep um then i stretch out recover and i'll go to work so i'll either work from home at the moment or i'll go into the institute of education and and work for a couple of hours in the evening if I need to, I'll just do a little bit of self-care. So, you know, um, foam rolling, massage gun, hot bath, ice bath, whatever I need. And then Tuesday and Thursday are running sessions. So uh, Tuesday is speed endurance. So it focuses on improving um, how long we can hold our, our, our pace. So um, the typical session will be 6 by 150 with um, six-minute recovery between each run and then um, 12 minutes between sets. And then the closer that comes to competition, the recovery gets larger and the pace gets quicker. And um, so this time of year, you might be running 15 to 16 seconds for 150. And then come competition, you're running 15 low with, you know, 12 minute recovery between um, between sets. Um, Thursday then will be 
some kind of a, an aerobic session, or sorry, uh, um, lactic um, threshold session. So it could be uh, 200 meters, 60 seconds, 150 meters, and you get three minutes and you do that five or six times, or it could be eight, 10, 200. So it's, it's again, just building the, uh, the lower levels of lactic into the body with keeping the recovery short. So you can't keep doing intense sessions every day. We'll do a good warm-up, hurdle drills and everything beforehand, and then we'll do some um, medicine balls, power throws afterwards. Um, then I suppose Friday would be um, gym again. So a slight gym, different gym session to the, to the, um, the Monday session. Uh, same kind of warm-up. I'll go through that. I'll do a, a running session beforehand. So speed, the focus on 30, 60, sled runs, wickets, and so on. So it's all about developing our, our top end and our acceleration. Gym is after that. And then I will have a physio session, a physio out in the Institute of Sport, and Sarah J. McDonald. Um, and then I will head home and, and chill out and recover because Saturday is my rest day. And then the last day of the week, I suppose I'm missing is Wednesday. So Wednesday at the moment for me is kind of like a rehab, regen, and I suppose just ticking all the little boxes that I can't do during the week. So I'll have like a, a very specific tailor-made rehab session that's focusing on, you know, ankle strength, calf work, um, hurdle drills, and there'll be a circuit element to it as well. There'll be lots of core, um, and then there'll be stretch and mobility and all that kind of stuff. So that kind of ticks the, the kind of training I'm, I'm doing at the moment. I'll, I'll tend to probably throw in one more bike session either on a Wednesday um, or one other day, depending on how I'm feeling. And yes, yeah, so that's kind of what my, my week looks like. So six days starting on a Sunday, finishing up on a, on a Friday. And the two of us were, were feeling good about ourselves, banging out our hundred pushups there an hour ago. Brian. <laughs> Just have to, you know, you take our breath away when we hear the detail, the, I suppose the, the diligence, <clears throat> the commitment, the high level ticking all the boxes that's why you perform so optimally when the when the opportunity is there question that has to come is does downtime ever come into this week you know and if so what does brian gregan do to unwind and just come away from it all for a little bit to recharge um well in some essence like i as i said earlier i work for the institute of sports and i work about 20 hours a week at, at the moment it's at home but predominantly i'm in the school and on Leeson street and um in a way, that's kind of my down. That's not my downtime. That's not set up. But I really enjoy what I do, like well-being classes, workshops on resilience, you know, positivity, peak performance. So using all the skills I've gained throughout my career, I'm using that with the fourth, fifth, and sixth years, and pre like preparing them for leaving search, and um, mentally as well as physically with with circuit training classes. So I really enjoy that. So that's a beautiful distraction and welcome distraction because you can't spend every day focusing on athletics maybe when I was younger I focused on watching videos and analysis and I all my energy went into that well now I use that energy and it actually gives me back energy but um so when I'm not training I probably train you know 20 hours a week I would um work 20 hours a week and then that leaves me with um a degree of of, of downtime so um I love obviously now in a pre-pandemic world it would be meeting my friends for coffee going to the cinema i go out for food with my fiance we we love going out for food at the moment we're just cooking stuff in and getting takeaways and meal boxes um so mixing that up yeah cinema i play um a lot of call of duty or fifa on um the xbox or playstation with my friends 
and the lads are you know it's almost my my daily um well-being session or meditation session is putting on my playstation for an hour or two with the lads and throwing my headset on having a bit of laugh with them so that's you know gives me my bit of chat with, with my friends and, and takes me away from athletics and it, obviously it doesn't use much energy so I have to be careful that you know we don't go out for a hike on my day off because you know I have a hard session the day the next day and, and two hard sessions the day before so yeah like I just do normal things like normal people do like I'm obsessed with coffee so I love I've got a, a great new coffee machine so I'm messing around with that a lot chilling out I'm reading a lot of books at the moment watching Netflix um eating a lot of food if you're eating i'm burning off roughly four thousand calories a day so there's got to be a lot of food put into the system um so yeah like it's just normal stuff but trying to keep the the activity low like look i'd love to go out and kick a football around but it's just not practical right now you know love the piece there with the the leaving cert students and the well-being you know we'll acknowledge you for that that's that's great work to be given back for people that really need it but we're going to have to dig into something there. We had uh, Sonia O'Sullivan on this a couple of weeks ago, um, which we were chuffed about. And to be honest, most of the talk centered around caffeine and coffee. Yeah, and yeah. Coffee she likes and the beans she uses and all that. And that's what we talked about. Um, and if we look on your social, you seem to very much be a caffeine enthusiast as well. So, you know, if you were a barista, uh, Kind of what, what's your favorite coffee? What would your coffee shop cafe look like? What would you call it? We have to dig into that a little bit, Brian. Yeah. So look, I'm, I've been into coffee from like uh, probably around, I, I, I can't really put the nail on the head when I really got into it. Probably around college when I first started, obviously you need it for exams and so on. One of my good friends, Brian Murphy, he's a, a, a coffee connoisseur and he would advise me on the good stuff. So, um, you know, I would know every city I travel to and race in based off what the coffee shops are like. So I'd have a little note in my thing. So I'd I'd either send a message to, to Murph and he'd go, look, you need to go here, try there. I'd research myself or anytime anyone would go to a competition, they'd send me a text and go, where is good for food or coffee? And I'd be able to tell them. So that is our kind of our really way of relaxing is the athlete's lifestyle is sit in a coffee shop for a couple of hours and, and chill out with your friends. So when you're preparing for a competition or you're way out of meat, you know, you'll go find a coffee shop and you'll chill out there. It's the first thing you'll do after you drop your bags off. So I have a, I've got a really nice coffee machine there um, just before Christmas and I've been making coffee with that. So my favorite beans, um, I the origin would always be single origin from any anywhere in Brazil is, is good. Like I love, love Brazilian coffee. It just has a, a nice taste off it. It's not too acidic. Um, it's just kind of smooth. So like the notes that I'd go with would be like, you know, like chocolate kind of notes rather than the the, the real fruity stuff. I, I don't quite like it much. And the nutty and the chocolate is the, the best kind of coffee for me. And at the moment, I've got a kilo of Rwandan coffee from Roasted Brown. Um, I try to stick with the the Irish roast as much as possible. Before that, I had 3FE. Coffee Angel are definitely the most consistent coffee to, to buy. They're beautiful coffee. Then I, the best coffee then I would say is from the barn in Berlin. So they roast coffee over there for, for years. Their stuff's amazing. And um, I have a pal then, Timmy Crow, who owns a coffee shop. And I think I probably forced them into coffee. He used to drink hot chocolate and mochas all the time, but now he's into the double espressos. So he opened a coffee shop there recently called Taylor and Blue, just beside the Matter Hospital. So his coffee is good. In Fibsburg, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, Fibsburg, yes. Yeah. 
So I'm sure Tim will give you a discount if you go there to give a mention on this. So uh, I, I, I'd love to set up a, I think if I was setting up a coffee shop, it'd be very rustic. So if you've ever been to Lisbon, there's some amazing coffee shops in Lisbon. Like you cannot go wrong. Um, there, there's, there's five or six chains, not chains, but small independent places that are, are beautiful coffee. So very rustic, like benches and, you know, that kind of Scandinavian furniture is the way I'd be going. Um, but yeah, the, the key to it all is good food, good coffee, good barista. Um, I kind of was half looking at setting up something, but I'm just too busy now with training and um, with work. But maybe down the line, I'll get into the coffee business. Um, but yeah, I think it's just a way of life with athletics. It's caffeine fuels you for training, but it's also what you do to chill out. There's nothing better than sitting down with a group of your friends and chatting about you know anything you know sitting in the sun when you're away in belgium or france at a competition um you know sitting down with a newspaper with a flat white or americano um or a good book you know it's just it's i suppose because we can't really drink alcohol the closest thing to give us a bit of a high and, and enjoyment is coffee so i suppose you or or someone else might say oh let's go for a pint you know my my way will be will definitely be going for for a coffee well, we'll have to get you in touch with our former guest, James McCormack, Dublin Barista Institute and World Barista Institute. Oh, wow. Um, he, yeah, he'll be well able to train you up and help you that's, out with stuff like that. He's fine, yeah. That's brilliant. Just speaking about the recovery and what you do in downtime, it's not something we always take, we're always cognizant of, that when you're recovering and when you're resting as a high-performance athlete, that you have to switch off completely. That you know, going out for a hike, going out for the walk, it yeah. might be just too much stress on on the overall training system that you're involved in. So, how important is sleep in that system for you? Ah, uh, yeah, like sleep is the number one. Like I, I was just chatting to my at a a sports science class there with my group of forty years from the Institute of Education, and I was just chatting to them. We were we were talking about recovery, and I was saying the the biggest things are obviously nutrition, hydration, and sleep. But the number one is is sleep. Um. And I was horrified when some of them tell me you're sleeping six hours a night. You know, you're teenagers, the, you're looking at eight, ten hours. You know, I would sleep um, pretty much ten hours, nine, ten hours every night. I go to bed at, you know, just after ten, half ten, and, and we'll get up at 8 a.m. or so. Um, and if I sleep anything less than eight, I'm tired. And anything more than that, it's a bonus. And it's the biggest reason for it is that we, we produce human growth hormone. That is the, the number one recovery tool. So, Human growth hormone, you might know from, um, it's a performance enhancing drug when taken synthetically. So, um, athletes who actually take, it's the one drug that if you take, um, as a performance enhancing drug, it actually improves your performance without training. So you can actually improve your levels of fitness and your, your explosivity by taking human growth hormone with very minimal training. While otherwise, you know, EPO and so on, they still require you, they allow you to recover better we still have to put in the hard training. So HGH, um, you get it from, from your naps, you get it from sleeping. It's, it's, it's a vital part of, of recovery. So it's all about having good sleep hygiene. So routine, again, organization comes into it. Same time going to bed, same time getting up. Regardless, this is the, the trap a lot of the students I know fall into is they get up, they go to bed at 11, they get up at seven or half seven for school. The weekend comes, they go to bed at one and they get up at 10 or 11. And then come Monday, they can't sleep on Sunday night and it's a shit show. They come in groggy, they're late for class, they don't know where they are. And I'd fall into that routine myself. But routine is important. We have a midterm coming up next week and I know they'll all fall out of 
um, their, their pattern. So I'm trying to emphasize stick in that routine you build up. It takes roughly two weeks to build up a routine. Stick with it. It's worth it. You'll feel better. You'll feel more energized rather than feeling, feeling groggy. So yeah, sleep is essential. Um, same waking up, going to bed, um, phone away 30 minutes or an hour beforehand. You don't have any blue light. We know the importance of, of, you know, blue light and it can, and it can wake us up on our phones and also just stimulates our brain a little bit more from our phones. For me, I hop into bed at 10, I take out my Kindle and I read whatever book I'm reading at the, the moment. And that helps me then by half 10 or even 11, if, I, if I'm really engrossed in my book, um, I'll go to sleep. You know, it's just sticking to the same things over and over again and then trying to get a dark room. So blackout blinds, I use earplugs. Um, so that when a car drives by or the wind is really heavy, you know, I'd wake up the next morning and my fiance is like, geez, did you hear that rain and wind last night? And I'd like, didn't hear a thing. I had my earplugs in. I have either a face mask on or I have the blackout blinds. So I try to keep the same process. I go away. They don't have blackout blinds. No problem. Face mask, earplugs. So I'm sticking in the, the same kind of um, routine. So routine and good sleep hygiene is, is important. It's like you're getting up at six o'clock for kind of the week prior to the race just to get your body familiar to it. Yeah. So it all... All, all makes so much sense. Um, difficult when the babies come along, Brian. So yeah. we'll have to ask. Years, but uh, um, look, last one for me, Brian. We're both curious as to you know you've had such a such an interesting, fascinating up and down history to date. Definitely a lot of success. What's next? You've got a lot of interesting things going on at the moment. What's the next big thing for you? Um, obviously, COVID being a little asterisk there in the corner. But what's the big hope? Yeah, so um, the, the first thing is uh, in April and the start of May, we have um, the World Relays in Poland. So we're hoping to qualify uh, the, the first ever, not only the first ever Irish, first ever teams that will go to Olympic Games for a mixed 4x4 relay. So two guys, two girls, they both run a leg of the 400 metres um, and we're hoping to qualify the first ever Irish team to qualify for Olympic Games. But it's the first time, inaugural time, they're running the mixed 4x4 relay. So um we have a squad day the start of april prepare for that and hopefully um come the the first week of may we can qualify you finish top eight or top 10 qualify for olympic games and then it's based off times that the rest the, the, the top six top 16 teams qualify for for um tokyo so we'd be very hopeful that we can do it um you know, we don't know what the team's going to be like, but, you know, barring injury or illness, we'll have a, our strongest possible team out there to qualify. Then after that, it's it's starting to get racing. So it's May, April, June, the cutoff, de- the cutoff um, for qualifying individually for the Olympic Games is the last week of June, which is our Irish Championship. So for me to qualify, it's an average of your, your five top times um, are equated to points. And then those top points, um, will rank you. You need to be ranked in the top 48 in the world to qualify. So um, if I was to use, for argument's sake, my, my points from London, my top five times would have me ranked 16th in the world. So top 48 go. So if I can um, get back into any kind of shape like that, I'll be booking my tickets for, for Tokyo. And I think the biggest thing is the last two Olympic Games, I'd never reached the standard. Well, now I've gone under it in 2017 three or four times. So I know that I don't actually have to be at 100%. If I'm at 95% and consistent, I can I can qualify. So it's just about ticking the boxes 
you know, each day going to training, recovering, eat, sleep, drink, repeat, basically, you know, keep going, keep going. And eventually, um, you know, I think you get rewarded. Um, I don't feel like I deserve anything, but I feel like I've put in the work over the years and, and, and that will be rewarded um, when time comes. Well, you've two believers here anyway, <laughs> and all the best. You've brought us on nicely to the final question of the show and when we ask everybody that comes on. Yeah. It's what does high performance mean to you, Brian? High performance, what does it mean to me? It's 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 about the process. So it's the it's being an elite athlete and, and being a high performance athlete is about quality. It's about what you do every single day. It's not a once off, it's a lifestyle. High performance is from the moment you get up in the morning, you carry yourself as a high performance athlete. You eat well you sleep well, you train hard, you recover well, you get physio, you know, you look after your nutri- you look after your mental health, you look after your physical health. That's what it is. It encompasses every single hour of the day. It's about being world class. Yes. And it's also about enjoying yourself as well. So, you know, when you have your time off, relax, enjoy yourself. But actually being world class it's it's I suppose the best thing is it's a lifestyle and it's about day in, day out, tick, ticking those boxes that need to be ticked to achieve at your event, your sport, your business, your life, and so on. It's just ticking off those things that you need to do to be successful. I think it's fair to say it's one of the best answers we've ever had, Brian. And just, <laughs> no, thanks for just so, such a wise answer as well, all encompassing. Um, yeah. And so, and such a truism behind it. So, from the two of us here, Brian would like to say thank you very much for giving us your time, your story, your lessons. Um, it's been fascinating to hear, and we're both really wishing you the best over the next couple of months with that inaugural event, but also pushing into the Olympics. And we're hoping to be watching you there on the TV in time. Yeah, cheers, guys. I think this is probably my first ever podcast, strangely enough. I've done a kind of similar little things, but never actually a full podcast. So uh, thanks for inviting me on. Uh, I really enjoyed um, the chat. And we're looking forward to that coffee when you open up your cafe when you've retired. Uh, don't worry. I'll sort you out, lads. Uh, <laughs> discounts all around. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen, some wish it would happen, others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.